Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, the Chauvin verdict, but now a new police killing, this time of a 16-year-old black girl. And a new film makes the connections. Our guests are Minneapolis-based Karen Goodson civil rights icon, one of the activists with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Gwendolyn Zohara Simmons, and Dr. Pinel Joseph. Also, David Ayala, national organizer for the formerly incarcerated Convicted People and Families Movement. Let us go now to a roundup of the Chauvin verdict and reaction from The Guardian. Today, you have the cameras all around the world to see and show what happened to my brother. It was a motion picture. The world seeing his life being extinguished. I get calls, I get DMs, people from Brazil, from Ghana, from Germany, everybody, London, Italy, they're all saying the same thing. We won't be able to breathe until you're able to breathe. Today, we are able to breathe again. America, let's pause for a moment to proclaim this historical moment, not just for the legacy of George Floyd, but for the legacy of America. I'm going to miss him, but now I know he's in history. What a day to be a Floyd, man. Lord, as we give you the thanks and give you the praise, let George know that his name is going down in history. They may have put their knee on his neck, but he will now be a figure that we will take the knees off our necks now, and we give you the praise. Thank you, and God, we give you the glory. These blessings we ask in your name. Amen. 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 We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted, women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. The crowd gathered outside the corner store where George Floyd was killed erupted in cheers as they listened to the first guilty count announced from the courtroom where Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was put on trial. The jury took just over 10 hours of deliberations to find Chauvin guilty on all three counts, second and third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. Sentencing is set for June. George Floyd's brother Falonis gathered with other members of Floyd's large family and with civil rights attorneys to say he felt he, he could finally breathe after enduring the repeated broadcast during the trial of videos showing his brother being murdered. And I could do nothing but watch especially in that courtroom, over and over and over again as my brother was murdered. Today, we are able to breathe again. 
President Biden welcomed the verdict, saying Floyd's death was a murder in full light of day, and it ripped the blinders off for the whole world to see systemic racism. The murder of George Floyd launched a summer of protest we hadn't seen since the civil rights era in the 60s. Protests that unified people of every race and generation in peace and with purpose to say enough, enough, enough of this senseless killings. Before his statement, Biden had spoken to Floyd's family where he promised to work for meaningful changes in policing. Vice President Kamala Harris said the Biden administration will work to help pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. It would ban chokeholds, establish national standards for police departments, require data collection on police encounters, streamline federal law to prosecute excessive force, and eliminate qualified immunity for law enforcement. The measure passed the House along party lines. It's stuck in the Senate. Minnesota's first black attorney general, former Congressman Keith Ellison's office, successfully prosecuted the case against Chauvin. After the verdict, Ellison listed the names of victims of beatings or death at the hands of police. Rodney King, Abner Luima, Oscar Grant, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, Dante Wright, and more. This has to end. We need true justice. That's not one case. That is a social transformation that says that nobody's beneath the law and no one is above it. This verdict reminds us that we must make enduring systemic societal change. According to a criminologist at Bowling Green State University in Ohio, Chauvin is only the eighth U.S. police officer convicted of murder since 2005. The fatal shooting of a black teenage girl by police in Columbus, Ohio, came within minutes of the verdict in the George Floyd killing. It caused outrage and protests. Officials with the Columbus Division of Police released footage of the shooting of 16-year-old Makia Bryant last night, just hours after it happened. The 10-second clip begins with an officer getting out of his car at a house where police had been dispatched after someone called 911 saying they were being physically threatened. The officer takes a few steps toward a group of people in the driveway when the girl started swinging the knife at first one girl or woman and then at another. The officer shouted at her and then opened fire. A man immediately yells at the officer, you didn't have to shoot her, she's just a kid, man. Senators Ed Markey of Massachusetts and California's Alex Padilla joined with New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to reintroduce the Green New Deal. Their event came two days before President Biden's virtual summit planned for tomorrow and Friday. Markey noted he and Ocasio-Cortez originally introduced the Green New Deal two years ago. For the past two years, it has been proven that the Green New Deal isn't just a resolution, it is a revolution. Since, since then, every day, revolutionaries have taken to the streets and the ballot box to make jobs, justice, and climate action central to our political system. It was just three years ago that Wisconsin's Republican leaders signed a deal to give Foxconn nearly $3 billion in state tax credits on the promise it would invest $10 billion at its electronics facility and create 13,000 jobs. Former President Trump touted the plant as the eighth wonder of the world. 
the shrunken reality emerged yesterday. A new deal signed by Wisconsin's Democratic Governor Tony Evers will make Foxconn eligible for $80 million for employing slightly over 1,400 workers, not 13,000, and for investing $676 million by 2026. I'm Eileen Alfandiri for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Now on Tuesday, April 21st, uh, Derek Chauvin, the white Minneapolis police officer who knelt on George Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes last year and killed him, was found guilty of all three charges against him. Chauvin was convicted of second-degree unintentional murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. The jurors deliberated for just over uh, 10 hours over two days before arriving at their decision. After he was convicted, Chauvin's bail was revoked and he was placed in handcuffs and removed from the court through a side door. He was later transported to a facility in Stillwater, Minnesota, about 25 miles east of downtown Minneapolis. Uh, the second-degree murder charge pointed out that Chauvin assaulted George Floyd with his knee, which caused uh, Mr. Floyd's death. The third-degree murder charge stated that Chauvin acted with a depraved mind. Meanwhile, the manslaughter charge said his culpable negligence caused George Floyd's death. Um, now, Chauvin faces serious jail time. He could face up to 40 years in prison for the second-degree murder charge, up to 25 years for a third-degree murder charge, and up to 10 years for the manslaughter charge. This according to CNN. Now, Minnesota's sentencing guidelines recommend about 12.5 years in prison for each murder charge and about four years for the manslaughter charge. But in Derek Chauvin, case, uh, the state has asked for a tougher sentence than the recommendations uh, provide. Chauvin's sentencing is set for two months from today, and a trial for three of the other officers involved in George Floyd's uh, arrest, uh, Thomas Lane, J. Alexander Kyung, and uh, Tu Tao, is set to begin in August. The three other officers at the scene of George Floyd's murder have since been fired and face charges of aiding and abetting uh, murder. You heard in uh, the clip we played earlier um, the Floyd family uh, rejoicing, um, tears of joy. There were lots of tears, people across the U.S. celebrating the guilty verdict and indeed uh, around the world. Peaceful demonstrations uh, were held and President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris also spoke out. We'll hear their words a little later in the show. Um, so, indeed, let us go now to a clip about how the U.S. reacted to the Chauvin verdict. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count one, find the defendant guilty. So there you have it, less than 10 minutes uh, guilty on all three counts. You saw the former police officer there, Derek Chauvin. Handcuffed, he's going back into jail. It was a murder in the full light of day, and it ripped the blinders off for the whole world to see. Today, you have the cameras all around the world 
to see and show what happened to my brother. It was a motion picture. The world seeing his life being extinguished. All we want is the police to obey the law. And when they break the law, they should have handcuffs just like anybody else. God, let this man die in vain. As much as I want to be overjoyed, the thing is, that really should be the regular thing. It shouldn't be that there is this worldwide wait to find out what the verdict is. We still must reform the system. This verdict is not justice. This was accountability, but it's not yet justice. Justice for us is saving lives. This is but a start, but at least now I can answer my son's question when yes. he says, Mommy, what if that happened to me? I can at least show him what justice looked like today. I'm gonna miss him, but now I know he's in history. What a day to be a Floyd, man. All righty, and that clip was from The Guardian. And I'd now like to welcome our first guest here, um, Karen Kutzen, president of CWA Local 7250, has been active in protests in solidarity with George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. Karen is based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Karen, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, well, first of all, just congratulations to all of you on the ground. We know it also took uh, people across the nation and indeed across the world uh, to highlight the murder of George Floyd. But uh, you all being on the ground there and doing the day in and day out work, I'm sure deserve a lot of credit. Uh, you know, these kinds of things are not only um, one within the courtroom, but also the movement on the street. Um, give us your reaction to the verdict. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, there have been decades of history of the Minneapolis Police Department regularly killing people, including unarmed people and disproportionately people of color, very frequently African-American men, uh, without any kind of justice. So this was exceptional, and the reason for the exception was the uprising that happened in response. I think it's unquestionable that without the video from Darnella Frazier, uh, a high school a young woman, uh, someone my son went to high school with, without her video and without the response of the, the people of the city, we wouldn't have this day. Right. And uh, what are you hearing um, from people around you, your family members, uh, people on the street? Those of us not in Minneapolis, of course, we saw the shots of uh, celebratory uh, movements. Uh, people were in tears. Uh, there was also a sizable and, and very peaceful uh, protest. So tell us about some of that activity on the street and, and people's reactions, but also what people are, are quite worried about. I mean, people are saying, well, this is a new day, and in some ways it is because the blue wall of silence was broken. You had several police officers, including the chief of police, uh, testifying against uh, Chauvin. Uh, but uh, just tell us about all that. Well, I think people, people are relieved. Um, people wanted to see justice. They wanted to see a police officer be convicted for murder. They wanted to have you know, our realities validated in the courtroom. But I think that there's also going to be an attempt now to 
use this conviction to try and uh, restore the legitimacy of the Minneapolis police, who really have not had their legitimacy restored since the murder of George Floyd, even after months of propaganda and also, you know, some real antisocial crime issues that we do have to deal with. But I think it's important that we not fall for um, attempts to use this conviction to pretend as if everything's okay or to pretend if it was just one bad apple. The thing is about Derek Chauvin is is he was actually a very typical Minneapolis policeman, not an exceptional one. And the thing that he did could have easily been done by any number of cops. And if it hadn't been for that video, he'd still be on the force today. Yeah, absolutely. And that that really is the difference, um, Karan, between uh, what happened to George Floyd. Also, people talk about Rodney King. I mean, in Rodney King, there was a video, uh, but nevertheless, those police officers were, you know, let off the hook. Uh, Eric Garner, there was also a video. So in a lot of ways, this particular case uh, has a breakthrough. But the other thing I wanted you to comment on, because that you mentioned there have been other incidences, you know, in Minneapolis of uh, police killings and, and police violence and tension between um, the black community, communities of color, and the police there. Um, but when we think back in history and we think of uh, yesterday, we did a story on Mamiya Abu-Jamal, who is a, a journalist and in prison, uh, many say wrongfully in prison, um, in Philadelphia for the killing of a police officer, but Mamiya himself was shot and beat um, by the police. And one has to wonder if there was a video then of that incident, um, would Mamiya still be in prison today? So, uh, Karen, one has to wonder about that, about how many, um, you know, people of color are in prison simply because it was their word against a police officer and there was no video. Karen Goodson. You're totally right. There's a number of people that were killed in Minneapolis under extremely questionable circumstances. Um, Terrence Franklin was killed in, in a, a basement and with this incredible story that he somehow took on two policemen and uh, police dogs and somehow was able to pull one of the policemen's gun away um, and shoot police officers before he was killed. It's just an incredible story that doesn't seem possible. Uh, Fong Lee was a young uh, Hmong Asian uh, man in Minneapolis who was shot in the back by police, and the gun that they said that he had actually was last um, recorded being in the police evidence locker room. So there's just case after case like this. And there weren't, was no video. And I think in the cases that you mentioned before that did have video, the real difference was that the police had not restored their legitimacy here. They still um, don't have the consent of wide swaths of the population in Minneapolis. And to me, that was that was a good thing because they don't deserve it. And we should resist any attempts to have some cosmetic or superficial um, bringing us all back together to consent to the Minneapolis Police Department when its long history has been one of violence, particularly against poor people and people of color.
Right. And hold that thought. I do want to come back to you to talk about what people are now demanding uh, in Minneapolis of law enforcement there. But I'd like to welcome into this discussion David Ayala, who serves as national organizer for the formerly incarcerated convicted people and families movement, which is a network of over 50 civil and human rights organizations that are led by people who are living with criminal records and their family members. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being on this morning. Yeah, and David, I wonder, I mean, I do want to talk with you because you all have an event uh, coming up later today, that is April uh, 21st, uh, showing this film, Racially Charged, America's Misdemeanor Problem. But then you have uh, quite a, a set of uh, panelists uh, following that discussion, including uh, Ben Crump, who's the trial lawyer uh, for justice. But first, um, give us your reaction to the verdict and how you see that impacting um, policing and law enforcement, not only in Minneapolis, but across the country, David? I, so I, I first, as an organizer, I see this as a foundation uh, that we must build on. You know, however, um, we cannot, one guilty verdict does not reverse the damage uh, caused um, by the George Floyd um, killing, as well as the decades of police violence in our community. So therefore, as we take a moment to embrace some semblance of justice brought by the verdict, um, that moment of relief will, will short be lived because justice is not achieved in a single moment, but over time with consistent, tangible progress. Uh, we must continue. In this moment, uh, we must not let, let, let up, but we must continue to organize and demand a kind of justice that recognizes when we are victims and protects our humanity at all times and under all circumstances. And, and, and most importantly, we, we, as, as we move forward, we must demand uh, the same, same resources that went into that trial to go into our, our, our trials moving forward. Because I think that's one of the major points, um, part of what took place yesterday, uh, the, not just the expertise of the, of the prosecutorial and, and, and the honor in which the jury, um, you know, uh, uh, conducted themselves, but, but the resources that went into that trial uh, the, to, to, to get the experts. That's something that we don't normally see. Right. And um, Karen, uh, back to you now, because you know, people are beginning, even Biden in, in his statements, you know, talking about uh, systemic uh, racism. It, you know, it's not a, a question of a few bad apples, but a systemic problem. And then other people are raising, well, the systemic problems, true in law enforcement, but we can't only look at law enforcement. We have to look at all of the other uh, systemic uh, issues. I saw an article about um, force that's being used against uh, students, for example, um, that says in, in 
U.S. education. The headline says, children are dying. George Floyd's killing fuels calls for a ban on restraints in schools. Then there, of course, the the massive increase in, in mass incarceration, which reflects uh, systemic problems, racism, poverty on a number of fronts. So your thoughts now on what people are demanding specifically, or just let us know what the movement on the ground demanding specifically in relation to law enforcement, but also um, your thoughts on the fact that the, the, it's systems-wide. It's not just a question of looking at one particular uh, system. Karen? Yeah, again, I agree with how you lay that out. Um, Minneapolis, like all parts of this country, is built on the structural white supremacy of this country, and all the institutions and systems uh, that come from that structure are, you know, infected and promote the racism that's been inherent in the system. So it's not just policing, it's, it's employment, it's wealth. There's a massive wealth gap in Minnesota between people of color and white folks. Um, there's a massive education gap in the schools that, that poor people and people of color predominantly use are, are way under-resourced compared to middle-class whites. So it has to take, go on beyond policing. It has to take on the entire system, in, in my view. Now, in regards to the policing spe specifically, there are a number of different proposals that are coming from the grassroots. You know, there is an effort to dismantle the MPD entirely and replace it with something different. There are other folks that want to put the MPD under what they call community control. And there are other proposals. But there is a spirit of, I'd say, defiance um, that, that exists surprisingly months after the uprising that people are not going to just accept the return to the same kind of policing that existed before. And um, if the police try and impose that just with some new names or some superficial changes, it won't work. Right. And uh, David, uh, back to you, because just yesterday, as people were reacting, uh, you know, to the verdict, I got a text from a colleague of mine in the Bay, Bay Area who is actually indigenous and uh, Salvadoran event um, um, background and said, or she said, the whole damn system is guilty. So, um, David, just the film, this new film, the formerly incarcerated, convicted uh, people and, and families movement that you all are screening along with uh, Brave New Films, the title of it is Racially Charged, America's Misdemeanor Problem. Uh, you are going to need to tell us how people could see it and participate uh, in it, but also tell us how you see the connection with this film and what is happening now um, with the Siobhan verdict and these uh, police killings, but also give us a sense of some of the panelists who will be speaking, and I'm sure that they'll also be commenting on the Siobhan verdict and the interrelationship of all these systemic problems. David. Yes. Yes. So, so the first, the, the, the film explores the history behind our broken criminal legal system, which actually charges 13 million Americans a year, uh, mostly uh, black and brown, with misdemeanors. Um, you know, this, the, the misdemeanor problem that we, that we have 
um, has allowed our, our, our uh, has allowed police officers to target our communities uh, since, since the end of slavery when new laws were created. So it it, it actually ties into to to, to, um, to just just the, the the damage and that has been caused over the decades by police violence. Uh, if you look back at, at many of these cases. Um, they were, they, you know, they, they were birthed from misdemeanors, and, and, and police officers uh, used misdemeanors uh, to actually, um, you know, target our community. So, so the, 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 the film will be screened tonight at 8 p.m., um, tonight, April, April 21st at 8 p.m. If you, um, that's Eastern like time, right? Film. Eastern, yeah, that's East yeah, Coast time, Eastern so that would be, yes. right. Mm-hmm. Yes, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, in order to view the film, is absolutely free. You can go to our website, ficpfm.org, on the, on, on, the, on the front page. Scroll down to the bottom, and we have events. Click on the event, and there's a link that takes you to uh, actually uh, register for the, um, for, the, for the screening of this free film. And then we have, we, we, we have Ben Crump, uh, you know, an attorney for justice that's on the panel. Uh, we have Talitha LaFlore. Uh, she's a professor and a historian. Uh, she's done research on the extorted labor of, of women and, and how, that, how that has tied in uh, to, to, to our misdemeanor problem. Uh, then we also have Chris Lolly. Chris Lolly uh, actually stars in the film, and he was actually, without, I don't want to give too much of the film, he was tased um, by a police officer at his daughter's daycare as he was waiting for her to come out. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we, we have, as a narrator, we have Deanna Hoskins, uh, which is the president of Just Leadership USA. Right. And, I mean, you mentioned uh, this man being tased, you know, waiting for his daughter at, at daycare. So, uh, Karen, just back to you for some uh, final thoughts here, uh, because that is an outrageous situation in and of itself. But this business about um, just the stopping, particularly of uh, black men, but it also happens uh, to black women as well, by the police. Um, Look at what happened with Dante Wright, just 10 miles uh, from uh, where you are, where George Floyd was killed. And what did he have? He had um, uh, something to... Uh, have his car smell nice hanging uh, from the mirror and and was stopped. So just some final thoughts from you, Karen. I'm just so, I'm so thankful to the young people that wouldn't let this be swept under the rug, you know, without this generation that stood up. It just makes me so proud how shameful it would have been if Minneapolis did not stand up against what happened. And so uh, I'm very hopeful about this new generation of people that are fighting for justice and open to thinking outside the box for solutions. Um, that's the, my big takeaway is that everything we've achieved has been because of, of their efforts. And a lot of politicians are going to take credit for it, but it was the young people in the streets that brought us here today. And, and just one quick thing, uh, Karen, um, are you seeing on the ground um, more people reacting and coming together 
as a result of what happened with George Floyd and, you know, even the, the trial in of itself, because the country is so divided. I mean, you did have 74 million people uh, voting for Donald Trump, who some call, some refer to him as the white supremacist in, in chief and a, a, a widespread problem, not only in the United States, but also in Europe of, of the rise of this. Are you seeing more coming together of people? Uh, Karen? Well, there's been a coming together really over the last year since the uprising. People, um, there are projects that are still going today that, that came out of the days after George Floyd was killed. The area around um, the intersection where George Floyd was, was murdered has become a barricaded community space um, and has been organized and coordinated and secured by the community for you know, 10 months and more. Uh, they have two community meetings every day. There's a number of people who've taken, really made it their, the work of their life to to make that space be a space that is um, there for people to understand what happened to George Floyd, to understand about racism, and to protest against the conditions. And, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to black women from that neighborhood who've been kind of the, the core of it, but there's been a lot of different people from different ethnicities and racial groups, different generations who've made that happen. And that's just one example. So there's certainly been lots of coming together. There's a, still an energy in the in the Minneapolis and in the Twin Cities area. I think you saw that in the response to the horrible murder of Dante Wright, where people once again were right out in the streets acting boldly and um, bravely, I would say. So there, there is a coming together. I don't want to pretend like that polarization isn't there as well. But I think in moments when we see reality really starkly and clearly, for instance, right after George Floyd was killed, there was a poll that I think asked if the anger was justified. And it was something like 80% of those who took the poll responded that it was justified. So that had to cross some of the boundaries that you're describing. Um, but, of course, there are many people who are paid every day to make sure that we're divided and they get to work at it. Um, and it has an impact. Right, right. Well, on that note, we, we will hope to speak with you again. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And David Ayala, also, we have posted information on the film uh, that will be screened uh, later today, 8 East Coast time. That's 8, that would be uh, 5. I mean, yeah, 5 o'clock Pacific time today on the uh on our social media for the show. So we want to thank both of you for joining us. Thank you so very much. Okay, we're going to take a, a short um, station break. And uh, coming up, Dr. Piniel Joseph, we're gonna be continuing reaction and analysis uh, to the killing of, of George Floyd, the Chauvin um, verdict and its wider implications. Dr. Piniel Joseph, um, who is the Barbara Jordan Chair in Political Values and Ethics at the LBJ School of Public Affairs. He's also an author and civil rights icon um, who was active with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Gwendolyn Zohara Simmons. So you're going to want to stay with us. We'll be right back. Oh, cinnamon, where you going to run to? Cinnamon, where you going to run to? Where you going to run to? All on that day, will I run to the rock? Please hide me and run to the rock. Please hide me and run to the rock. Please hide me, Lord. 
And that is the great late Nina Simone uh, Sinnerman. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. If you are a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook and our handle on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. Our website has been down for a while, but it has been revamped and will be back up shortly. We will make that announcement. But we are nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, and internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in South Africa. We are now going to continue our coverage, get analysis and reaction. Everybody knows by now that Derek Chauvin um, on Tuesday, April 21st, was found guilty on all three charges against him in the murder of George Floyd. A, A lot of people have been uh, weighing in, including uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris, who called the verdict a step toward uh, a step forward in law enforcement reform. She said, quote, a measure of justice isn't the same as equal justice, adding that, quote, we still have work to do. Um, Vice President Harris said that she and President Biden will continue to urge the Senate to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. What I'd like to do now is to hear a bit of uh, Joe Biden addressing the nation. And one only has to think back of if the other guy was in the White House at this moment, what would he be doing? How would he uh, be reacting, uh, given that one of his media um, backers, Tucker Carlson, actually says that the verdict came the way it did because the jurors were intimidated by protesters. So they're going to find a way to uh, make something out of this. But also, um, following that clip, I'd like to play one about this disturbing uh, news now about the killing, police killing of a 16-year-old in Columbus, Ohio, uh, Micaiah Bryant. Let's go to those clips and then we'll welcome our guests. No one should be above the law. And today's verdict sends that message. But it's not enough. We can't stop here. In order to deliver real change and reform, we can and we must do more to reduce the likelihood that tragedies like this will ever happen and occur again. To ensure the black and brown people, or anyone, so they don't fear the interactions with law enforcement, that they don't have to wake up knowing that they can lose their very life in the course of just living their life. They don't have to worry about whether their sons or daughters will come home after a grocery store run or just walking down the street or driving their car or playing in the park or just sleeping at home. And this takes acknowledging and confronting head-on systemic racism and the racial disparities that exist in policing and in our criminal justice system more broadly. You know, state and local government and law enforcement needs to step up, but so does the federal government. It's the work we do every day to change hearts and minds, as well as laws and policies. That's the work we have to do. Only then will full justice and full equality be delivered to all Americans. And that's what I just discussed with the Floyd family. The guilty verdict does not bring back George. 
But through the family's pain, they're finding purpose. So George, George's legacy will not be just about his death, but about what we must do in his memory. I also spoke to Gianna, George loves George's young daughter again. When I met her last year, I've said this before, at George's funeral, I told her how brave I thought she was. And I sort of knelt down to hold her hand. I said, Daddy's looking down on you. He's so proud. He said to me then, I'll never forget it, Daddy changed the world. Well, I told her this afternoon, Daddy did change the world. Protesters voiced outrage in Columbus, Ohio on Tuesday after a black teenage girl was fatally shot by a police officer. Authorities said the girl had lunged at two people with a knife. They also say the officers involved were answering a 911 call about an attempted stabbing. Columbus police released the officer's body camera footage of Tuesday's shooting just hours later. Police Chief Michael Woods says that the video shows the victim holding a knife after officers arrived and charging towards another girl. A police officer then opened fire on the girl with the knife as she collapsed against a car parked in the driveway. As per policy, officers immediately assessed the female for injuries, summoned a medic, and began CPR. Authorities described the victim as a 15-year-old girl, but family members have identified her as 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant. Woods said that the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation has opened an inquiry and appealed for calm until the case is closed. Protesters had already begun gathering near the crime scene earlier in the day. The shooting comes just as peaceful marchers across the country took to the streets after Derek Chauvin was convicted of murdering George Floyd, whose death last summer sparked anti-racism protests around the world. The Columbus police officer who opened fire on Tuesday was not identified, but Wood said that he would be taken off the street pending an investigation. All righty, and that was a clip from uh, Reuters. And we have two distinguished uh, panelists here ready to give their thoughts, analysis on all of this. What I'd like to do now is to go welcome our guests. Uh, first, I'd like to welcome Dr. Gwendolyn Zohara Simmons, Professor Emerita of African American and Islamic Studies at the University of Florida. Um, uh, Zahara, as I call her, was a SNCC, a Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee staff person uh, during Freedom Summer, the famous Freedom Summer of 1964. She remained there for 18 months working to get um, black people in Mississippi the right to vote. Uh, she was one of the three women project directors in the state. She was based in Laurel, Mississippi, where the head of the Mississippi Ku Klux Klan uh, was based. Uh, so, Hara, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I'd like to welcome also Dr. Peniel E. Joseph. He is the Barbara Jordan Chair in Political Values and Ethics at the LBJ School of Public Affairs and founding director of the study for the Center uh, for the for the study of race and democracy, sorry about that, uh, Pinel, at the University of Texas at Austin. His latest book, The Sword and the Shield, The Revolutionary Lives of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. It was published by Basic Books in April of last year. Dr. Pinel Joseph, welcome back. 
Thank you for having me, Margaret. Well, um, Pinel, we're actually going to start with you uh, to first give your reaction, but um, then to the verdict, of course, and the result of a massive nationwide and, and worldwide movement. But then we have the funeral of, of Dante Wright coming up. 10 miles away from where George Floyd was killed. I think it's going to be on Thursday, the last I heard. And now the police uh, shooting, killing of this 16-year-old girl, Micaiah Bryant. A lot we still have to face, some progress, but a lot more to be done. Pinel. No, absolutely. I think um, yesterday was a day of accountability. I wouldn't call that justice. I think that justice is going to come when we no longer have, um, whether it's Dante Wright or Makia Bryant or uh, Breonna Taylor, who are just uh, shot and murdered by the police. I think that the words of the president um, were good, but are really not enough. Uh, the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act should be passed, but that's not enough. I, I think that what BLM activists have called for uh, in terms of defunding the police, reimagining public safety. so. We don't send first responders who are armed uh, to murder teenagers uh, is what's important. But it's going to be very, very difficult because in 1970, uh, Margaret, we had 150,000 police officers nationwide, and we have over 800,000 today. And we have 18,000 police departments, and those, those have to be demobilized. And that's the whole thing. It's just like, it's just like the... The, the incarceration that we have in the United States, 2.2 million people, and the number of uh, people who are connected to these systems of incarceration, a million people's jobs depend on prison, mostly at the state level. But there's county jails and there's a small federal prison population of a couple hundred thousand people. All of that has to be deconstructed and reimagined. So one thing we have to remember is that the only reason George Floyd's family got accountability is that last year we organized the largest social justice movement in American history. And without that, conventional politics, conventional voting rights, all those things matter but are not enough. And we've seen that with a Republican Party that is trying to suppress the black vote. But we also see it right now where the, the, the Senate is 50-50, but we have one senator, Joe Manchin, who's got veto power over any progressive legislation. So the only way we're going to ever be able to get justice is by holding folks accountable, but you're going to have to do it in the streets. And that's why my last comment is Maxine Waters. And Maxine Waters is really a courageous civil rights activist, a courageous black freedom fighter who said that people had to engage in the politics of confrontation. She wasn't talking about looting. She was saying confrontation where we express ourselves loud and clear and say there will be no peace without justice. Right, and, and you're absolutely right, Pinel Joseph. We all know very well what Congresswoman uh, Maxine Waters was referring to, but it seems as though the Republican Party, the uh, right wing, they don't have a heck of a lot to say, um, or what can they say now besides what uh, Tucker Carlson is claiming, except to go after Auntie Maxine, as she is known by, uh, uh, she's very, very beloved here in Southern California and across the nation. 
so that is just a, a, a non-starter. And they tried to censor in Congress, um, uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, and that didn't go anywhere either, although notably the vote was along uh, party lines. But um, Zahara, bringing you here, I mean, you have been through so much. You're one of those people who did the work the rights of which some of us take for granted now. Uh, you are on the ground uh, doing that work. And one has to wonder when enough will be enough. I mean, there was Emmett Till, um, and people were saying, well, that's going to make a, a big difference. Well, it did make a difference. However, now we have uh, George Floyd. Um, we now have um, Micaiah Bryant. We have uh, Dante uh, Wright. And in your time, of course, not only Emmett Till, but Goodman Cheney Schwerner, the three civil rights workers who, who were killed. I mean, the three girls who were blown up in, in the church, um, Dylan Roof, who shot and killed nine people in a church. So it just seems to keep going on and on and on. And uh, Zohara, given the work that you have done and where we are now, uh, your thoughts, your reaction uh, to the verdict, but also you know, give us some context here. What do you think this generally could mean for us moving forward, Sahara? Well, thank you very much uh, for the very detailed question. Uh, I, first of all, agree totally with everything that uh, Dr. Pinnell has said. Um, you know, obviously, I was uh, pleased with the verdict yesterday. I did not expect it. Uh, so it was, you know, quite a surprise. Uh, but at the same time, uh, just as Dr. Joseph has said, uh, you know, we have such a long way to go. Uh, there have been only seven murder convictions for fatal police shootings in this country since 2005. And, you know, the killing of black men women and children by police officers is two times, uh, over two times for black people as it is for whites. And just as all of us were uh, celebrating the verdict yesterday, uh, someone texted me uh, that a 15-year-older, now we know she was 16, had been killed in Columbus, Ohio, Micaiah Bryant. And I thought, how is it that police can bring in alive mass murderers, but they can't stop a 16-year-old girl with a knife without pumping four bullets into her chest? Uh, I've learned that she was a person in foster care. Uh, and it doesn't matter, you know, but just to jump out of his car, which he did, and kill her. I mean, this is the thing, you know, and Columbus has had three killings uh, since 2020 that are highly suspect by the police, uh, one of whom, one of those police officers has been indicted for murder, felony murder. Uh, so that's a good thing. But we, uh, as Dr. Joseph said, it takes feet in the streets to get justice.
for African Americans. Yes, we must put progressive people in office. Uh, you know, I think it's very important who the Attorney General in Minnesota is. Uh, you know, we have to have people in those positions to begin to tilt the justice system toward justice. But at the same time, it's not going to happen if we are not organized and we don't get in the streets. We still need mass mobilization against these killings uh, and so many other things that we're faced with. Thank you. And um, Peniel Joseph, thank you for that, uh, Dr. Zahara Simmons. Um, You know, there is a tendency, and I did hear some of that in the celebration yesterday, to say, well, this is a victory for America. And, you know, underneath that was a little bit, well, we got, as you say, not justice, but accountability. I think even Biden admitted that. Um, But that some people may take this as well. This verdict means that all is well in, in America. And, you know, you black people who are keeping complaining about this, that, or the other, you know, just use this as an example. Um, just your final thoughts on, you know, how this could be seen within the context of this experiment called these United States. Uh, Dr. Peniel Joseph. Well- well, I think that uh, I'm going to just talk about black people. Our people know, uh, black, brown, indigenous people, uh, that this is just the beginning. Uh, it's very important for us to understand that even where, where um, uh, Dr. Simmons was talking about, you know, her, her time in the 1960s, um, in many ways, away from the black uh, bourgeoisie who are doing so much better now, uh, including people like, you know, the former president of the United States and Michelle Obama, for, for millions of black people, it's, it's a worse situation in 2021 than it was in 1961. And I'll tell you why. It's a worse situation, not because we don't have the same Jim Crow signs, but the systems and structures and violence of, and systems of domination are even more entrenched in this neoliberal system than ever before. That's why we're dying in such explicit rates. Right. So this is, you know, some people want to focus on wealth inequality, income inequality. I, I, I support that. But the reason why we're dying is that we are racially segregated and economically impoverished by this system that is still at the center of this system is the slave power. W.E.B. Du Bois said that we had to push for abolition democracy in 1935 in black reconstruction. And he said that the United States was a place where they worshiped God wildly, right? They bought and sold human beings. And in the 20th century, women and men were being burned alive. That holds true for the 21st century, right? So we can't listen to the lies that somehow this represents justice. Tens of millions of black people, we are in a worse position now than we were in 1961, than we were in 1921, because of these systems and structures of domination. And I'm not talking about the black bourgeoisie, because even at the end of racial slavery in 1865, there were a half a million free black folks. But it becomes so what if four million of us were not free, right? It becomes so what? So this is not about the Tiger Woods and Oprah Winfrey, uh, and the black people are doing fine. This is about the rest of us. And the only person who's going to love us is us. So we have to understand that we are facing a monstrous moral and political evil. That's what you're seeing out in the streets. 
That's what you're seeing in Fox News. And unless we have the courage, like Fannie Lou Hamer and Dr. King and Malcolm X and people like Dr. Simmons, to speak truth to power, our babies are not going to live. And that's why 16-year-olds are being shot and killed. This country is still the slave power of 1865, and we've all been, we've all been sold a lie that we are somehow free, right. that we somehow have citizenship and dignity, and we do not. Okay, I'm afraid on that strong note, we are going to have to leave it there. Dr. Uh, Zahara Simmons, I think he summed up and underscored your point. I'd love to have an in-depth conversation with both of you together. Uh, thank both of you for joining us. Um, I'd like to thank the Sojourner Truth team uh, for today. Today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott, our audio engineer, Kiana Williams, assistant producer, Romero Funes. Get a copy of the show from Pacifica Radio Archives. Thank you for listening, and you all, please. Stay safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott.